Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. During the first year of the pandemic, 34 women found themselves homeless in Northumberland, fleeing an abusive situation. That is according to a recently released report by a group representing organizations in the county whose job it is to protect people against gender-based violence. It was one of the more shocking statistics released by Thrive. It is the third annual report from the group that works with a range of services in the county with a mandate to help those who face violence. This includes rape, assault, and abuse. And, as you would expect, the pandemic is making things worse. Today, I will be talking with the coordinator, Nicole Beattie, about the contents of the report and what it means for women. I must say it's been a while, but I'm so glad to have back Nicole Beattie in one of her non-council roles, and I'll let her explain that in just a second. Welcome back to Consider This. Well, hello. It has been a while, but I always enjoy this conversation, so thanks for the invitation. Thank you. I'm talking to you about a report that was released recently from a group called Thrive. Now, uh, can you just, before we get too far in this, tell us who Thrive is and what this report is meant to address. Thanks. Uh, So Thrive, the Northumberland Coalition to End Violence Against Women, we're actually a coordinating committee representing over 20 20 plus agencies in Northumberland County who have a mandate to support women and children and who intersect where their support for women and children intersect around domestic violence, sexual assault, abuse, human trafficking. Uh, We are one of 48 of these committees across Ontario and Thrive. Uh, Our community coordination work is funded uh, by the Ministry of Children, Community and Social Services. So if you were to give us one thing that really stood out to you in this report that you just released, what would it be? Mm -hmm. So our annual report, this is our third year uh, trying to monitor uh, the trends of gender-based violence uh, in in the county. Uh, This year, the 2021 report focused on what a year was pre-pandemic, uh, so 2018, 2019, and then the year, uh, the first year the pandemic was declared, uh, so 2020, 2020. Uh, but to answer your question, Rob, what it just, again, every year, unfortunately, the prevalence of gender-based violence in our community continues to escalate. Uh, the report did talk about what the United Nations and many violence against women organizations in Canada is calling a shadow pandemic. Uh, so a crisis within a public health crisis. Uh, women are 
uh, women and children are at home, they're in isolation, they can't get out. Uh, rates of domestic violence have increased. But in Northumberland specifically, what we saw was the exponential spike in access uh, to services and inquiries through crisis and helplines as to, uh, fundamentally answering the question, how do I get help and where do I go to get help? Before we get too deep in the weeds, this report focuses on gender-based violence, not just violence against women. Can you just take a moment and briefly explain the difference? Yeah, that's a really important question. So Thrive as a coalition, we've endorsed uh, the Canadian Women's Foundation definition of gender-based violence. And in summary, uh, this essentially is all types of abuse that women, girls, two-spirited, trans, and non-binary people uh, who are at the highest risk of experiencing violence. Uh, and violence can include all forms uh, from physical to emotional to mental forms of violence. And this can include name calling, hitting, pushing, blocking, stalking, criminal harassment, rape, sexual assault, trafficking, control, manipulation, uh, essentially any forms of abuse uh, that would be considered against the law. Uh, we find that gender-based violence can happy, happen, not happy, <laughs> happen in any relationship, uh, particularly what we see in Northumberland um, are settings that include romantic partners, intimate partner violence, uh, and violence within uh, the family home. And of course, we also support women in children who experience um, abuse, violence, or harassment uh, in the workplace, um, and more and more through an organization such as uh, Victim Services, Peterborough Northumberland, you know, we are starting to support uh, more young women who are unfortunately um, being trafficked, uh, and communities such as Northumberland along the 401 corridor each year continue to see the number of victims of trafficking being supported, uh, unfortunately increase. Now, this report and your previous report, the top line seems to be violence against women is increasing. Now that we're going to get down into the weeds, I'd like to better understand what impact has the pandemic had on services? Mm -hmm. Right, that's a really good question. So the first six to nine months of the pandemic in 2020, so where we're at now in service access and service delivery is a lot more uh, well accessible. Uh, a lot of organizations in the second year of the pandemic are now operating either back at full service or in a hybrid model uh, because essential services are back online. Uh, but in that first year of the pandemic in 2020, when we saw services closed for about six months because no one knew what this was. No one knew what to do. We didn't have the tools or the funding or the infrastructure in place uh, to pivot or to reimagine how we connect with people. Uh, so that first six months of the pandemic, it really cut everybody off from life support in so many ways. Uh, we were able to do uh, telesupport Thrive, two of our members, Cornerstone Family Prevention Violence Center, the Kortha Sexual Assault Center. We now have an online chat, text to chat support. But again, that took us about nine months to go from being completely shut to getting back online. So you can only imagine uh, how many people were cut off from lifeline supports. 
you definitely saw a dramatic decrease in the number of people our service members were supporting. And that wasn't because women and children weren't seeking support. There was just no way of connecting or accessing support. Why then is the report only cover the first year of the pandemic? Why is not all this information that you're telling me about how these institutions and these services have transitioned. Why was that not included in this report? Mm -hmm. I can clarify that. So the report follows uh, the agencies, the data collection for the fiscal year in which our members are funded. And I'd say 90% of those organizations follow a fiscal year of April 1st to March 31st. Uh, So we're actually technically still three months out from wrapping up the second year of the pandemic, if you think about service delivery and data collection. So in 2021, we would have been studying those two year comparisons anyways. Uh, So again, the pre-pandemic year is defined as that first fiscal year before the pandemic. And then uh, the majority of the 2020 year was part of the, that second fiscal year. So what you'll see in the 2022 report is a comparison between the first year of the pandemic and the second year of the pandemic. And you'll see those radical uh, shifts in service delivery. So we all are always kind of 10 months behind on paper, but it's just because of our reporting years. Then can you give us anecdotal evidence then? Because one of the conclusions of the report is that transitional support provided to women and children in sheltered remained the same. And as you said, there was this huge demand. but where are we really at? Is there still a gap between those who need services and the services being provided, even with, as you said, these new online services and some of the return to the services or hybrid, which I, I hope you, when you talk about this, you'll explain what that means. Mm-hmm. So can you, can you just, even with anecdotal evidence, tell us where we are at this moment in time? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So I'll set the context, yes, by hybrid, what I mean by that is in-person support being offered, as well as a virtual or digital option. So for example, the Thrive Drop-In Centre on Monday mornings where women and children um, can connect with uh, over 10 service providers, no appointment necessary, it's kind of help under one roof, you can either drop in in person to Cornerstone, which is our head office, um, or you can connect with us um, via a virtual platform. You can text support or you can call in support. So a hybrid model, meaning different access points to the services. But to answer your question, Rob, pandemic or no pandemic, sadly, in social services, in particularly violence against women, uh, gender-based violence, we are always seeing a significant gap between a wait list and folks needing to get immediate support. Just welcome to the community sector. And the need, the need is always going to be more than what is available. Um, but what I'm seeing now um, with the funding from the various levels of government and the innovation of our service members moving to hybrid um, or just declaring themselves essential services, I, I still think the biggest barrier is capacity. Some organizations um, are only able to operate at 50% capacity due to public health. Um, I know I've been seeing through Thrive, even though we've invested and shifted to a hybrid model, it's still not the ideal way 
for people in crisis to seek support. There is something about being in person, face-to-face that is very nurturing. And I will admit anecdotally, what we're seeing is, and we're gonna actually be talking about this Friday at our coalition meeting, is um, one of the biggest gaps is how do we how do we re-engage with women and children? How do we know that they are not alone? We are safe. We can help get here. Because um, our behaviors have shifted. And I still think that there's a lot of client base that are afraid to go out and get and get help, whether that's for their own safety. Transportation in an urban rural community is still an appalling and disappointing barrier to access care. You know, you're all the way out in Campbellford, but how do you get to downtown Coburg um, if you rely on your partner for a ride? And the reason why you're coming into town to access services is because you're trying to flee a violent scenario. Um, So there's just so many complicated layers in um, supporting people who've gone through violence or are trying to flee violence um, and really trying to get women and children into a safe space um, where they can heal, where they can access support and put a safety plan in place is really hard when every three months we're in a stay-at-home order or I shouldn't say a stay-at-home order, but when public health restrictions make it so hard to get out and get help. In the report, it notes that um, accessing certain services related to rape and to sexual assault were also being challenged. One of the things that has been a long time issue I know is that Northumberland Hills Hospital does not have a rape testing service and that um, many women have to go outside of Northumberland County to get this service. Do we know how many days it takes to get a test and what is the current situation? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what we actually did see, and, and, and to no criticism of NHH, you know, we have amazing, two amazing community hospitals in Northumberland County, but you are right, Rob. Um, if I'm in crisis or if I've been raped and I go to my emergency department, I have to um, get transported up to uh, the Peterborough, the Women's Resource Center there. Now, I will say in contacting Thrive and our member organizations, we can help women for free uh, get to Peterborough. There's obviously a logistical and time boundary or time barriers there. But I do want your listeners to know that if getting to Peterborough transportation is a challenge or the cost is a challenge. Uh, We do have that financial aid available through the Thrive Network. Um, Are the DV, the domestic violence and sexual assault, so the DVSA nurse practitioners, uh, they operate on a 24-7 crisis support. Uh, So as soon as a woman is able to get to Peterborough, they can be seen uh, by the, the nurse examiner. The report also states that the number of men coming into the emergency department at NHH related uh, to reports of violence, assault by bodily force or sexual assault doubled. Can you explain what that means and, and why that's significant? Yeah, my the conclusion I would draw from that is so 
what the report found in studying the emergency department data is that male visits to Northumberland Hills Hospital Emergency Department related to bodily force was twice the amount of those identified by female. Um, so not necessarily doubled over the pandemic, but um, essentially more men visited the ER for violence than, than women. Um, we don't get the data as to, you know, we don't get the medical reports as to what prompted um, the violent situation and led the person to go to the hospital. But one can just assume um, that it's more of a confrontation between um, uh, maybe more peer-to-peer -peer or crime-related uh, or um, fight-related versus to intimate partner violence where um, perhaps the woman is going to the ER um, because of a domestic violence situation. That, now, that's not to say that there's not male occurrences where um, the female is, where the male is the victim and the female is the one enacting the violence or, or the assault. Um, but correlation, one would say, um, is that, yeah, the doubling amount of men going to the ER is it would be more than just um, intimate partner violence. You know, it's also probably, it could be street violence. It could be peer-to-peer -peer violence. Why did you record this the stat then? We just wanted to compare, it's a really good point, but we just wanted to compare it's not always women, right? Like the, the peak or the significant in data is not always just women. We acknowledge that men suffer, men experience violence as well, men experience assault. Um, yeah, so we just, I just thought it was interesting um, that it's not always, the data is not always peaking related to violence against women. There is also another in interesting statistic. The three police forces reported a decline in the number of domestic violence incidents. That should be good news. But with the pandemic, that might not be the case. Can you tell us why? Mm -hmm. You would like to think it was good news. Um, I have to admit that was when we were reflecting on this data, um, where inquiries and visits to hospital, you know, everything else was kind of increasing, but police were, were declining. And we just don't know if sometimes when you're in further isolation um, and you have nowhere to go, a police response can only escalate. Like you're, I hate to say it, but you're living in the situation longer, you can't really uh, get, you can't really get out. Um, we don't know if it was emergency response uh, to other, other situations, uh, but there's definitely a conclusion to be drawn between, well, everything else is increasing, but for the first time in our reporting, occurrences reported by police went down. Um, and frontline workers in this space, our general assumption, we can only speculate that it's because um, when you're already in isolation, in a very vulnerable situation, um, every phone call to the police could, um, could irritate the situation even more. And with court backlog, like we're just, we're further and further into our own corner of fear um, that sometimes calling for help yet yeah, can just be that final, final straw, unfortunately. 
What message does that send to local police forces then about their ability to respond to domestic incidents like this? And what do you think they need to do to um, help create an environment where women or, or whoever's being assaulted mm. feels safer or uh, mm. more confident that, that that's a good move to make in a, in a bad situation? It's a very big question. Um, I am not in a position to speak on behalf of our police forces. Uh, Thrive has a very strong working relationship with our police. Um, all three police organizations sit on Thrive. So we have representation from their community outreach. A lot of our referrals come from um, the police and a lot of the police, you know, help get um, clients to where they need to go. I don't think that decrease stat is a, is a poor reflection on our police services. Um, I can't talk about what their other responses were like during, during the pandemic, but what I can assure the public is whether it's through the MHART program or whether it's through the community partnerships with um, and that what they fund violence against women organizations is there's a really strong working relationship for referral to get women to safe places. I believe Rob, just to clarify what I was trying to say, my earlier comment was when you're already at home and you have nowhere to go, the likelihood of you continuing to reach out or to make that call for support, you are afraid to do that. And I think that's a reflection of the environment the victim is in, not a reflection of the police services. Okay, I appreciate that you can't speak for the police, but you are an advocate for these people who are uh, facing this, this crisis. And I guess all I was asking was that if you could make recommendations to the local police forces to help them improve their services, um, is that not part of your role? And I guess that's what I'm really asking you is that if, if numbers are declining and people are afraid to make these calls, then you know who, who's advocating to say, here's a way that we can improve our services, especially uh, if, if, this, if the numbers are showing us that this is on the rise, then they should be, they are the front line in many cases of getting out there and um, engaging and, and maybe stopping or, or helping these people. Sure, I hear your question now. Uh, so thank you for pulling it out, but also um, following back up with it. What I think, what Thrive always has to continue to do is to continue to build capacity around our community relationships. I think what we can all do better at and constant education with the police services is how to refer women to the right places when they're in crisis. Um, so getting them to the DV sexual assault nurse in Peterborough when they need to be examined, getting them to thrive on a Monday morning so that they can have an immediate, they don't need to be put on a wait list, they can get right to the support that they need right away. So I have a responsibility in constantly building relationships with police and educating police, and then hoping that when I equipped the frontline first responders with that information, that then they feel empowered on how to make their referrals and get women and children um, to the appropriate services. The report provides some national data on the ongoing crisis of violence against women. 
However, in the big picture locally, how do, has access to services been impacted in such a way? It talks about innovations and approaches due to the pandemic restrictions. You've talked a little bit about this, but can you give us a better picture or a more detailed picture of how these innovations are taking place and whether or not they're meeting the demand? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So... I would love to be able to provide, I believe it's one in six women in Canada experiencing violence. I would love to, um, not love, but it would be, I think it would be more important and something we strive towards each year with our data is how to indicate, you know, how many women out of how many experience violence in Northumberland. Um, One thing that we need to continue to do is engage with Um, victims and survivors and asking how we can continue to do better. What you'll see in the 2022 report is Thrive actually funded community consultations with PARN um, who provide harm reduction services to Thrive. And they actually went out into community and interviewed and spoke with women with lived experience. So when we have our conversation next year, Rob, I'll actually be able to, because we need to have that complement between the service perspective But the most important perspective are victims and and people with lived experience. An example of innovation, um, I would have to use our Thrive model. You know, every Monday morning from 9 to 12, we have nine um, frontline workers representing nine different social services from shelter to financial aid to the DB uh, sexual assault nurse in Peterborough is on the line. So if you can't get to Peterborough, you can have um, a primary health care um, assessment uh, with them over the phone or over video. Um, we have harm reduction support. Uh, we have direct line to forecast for mental health and addictions. Um, so it's, it's quite uh, shelter admission, family court support, legal counseling, safety planning. What I think is the innovation in this model is whether you're in Campbellford or you're downtown Coburg, you can walk in or plug in, dial in, log in. Um, and like I said, immediately connect with a frontline worker. You don't have to wait for a phone call back. You don't have to wait three months for an appointment. You are connected with a frontline worker. A safety plan is put into place. You can have um, uh, appointments with depending on the needs uh, that you need to explore. Uh, we've been able to get this online relatively um, affordable, cost-effective. I'd say the biggest barrier, we are seeing access to our hub decline 50% during the pandemic, and this is after we were back online. And we think the reason for that decline, even though we have this innovative model, we believe the decline is twofold. Um, it's such a busy world out there. Um, I don't think a lot of people know where to go to get information. I mean, you do such a good service to the community to highlight this innovation, um, but in such a busy online world, um, I think information is lost. Services are always changing, so you never know if it's still um, timely. But I do believe... Um, you and I can do a virtual interview, but when you are in crisis, um, picking up the phone or doing a video appointment might be so exhausting in and of itself. But not only that, if I'm in, at home in an unsafe environment, 
I can't have a virtual appointment because the person in the house could possibly hear me or there's um, a digital footprint of me accessing support. So hybrid virtual support for women in crisis, I think is innovative, um, but it does not replace safe in-person face-to-face support. One of the more shocking aspects of the report was the fact that 34 women reported being homeless due to emotional, physical, or psychological, or sexual abuse. I wonder how you responded when you learned that figure. Yeah, that was really heavy on my heart. Um, I could never imagine being in that situation. I have to admit, this was the first time. So this is our third year doing this research. Um, And every year we're trying to be inclusive and we're always trying to improve and paint the biggest snapshot that we can. This was the first year um, that we were able to get the um, Northumberland County Community Social Services data. We have a really good champion from the Community Safety Wellbeing Plan who sits on our coalition. Yes, so when I read that, the biggest question always comes up with, well, where did they go? Um, Because we know getting into affordable housing is next to none. Um, We know that shelters were closed and or operating at 20 to 50% capacity. Um, The great thing now, you know, two years into the pandemic, um, our shelter services have reinvented how they work. So they, you know, there's hotel support. there's been offsite shelter programs to ensure that they get back up to capacity so that no one's turned away. But short answer to your question, how does that make me feel? Um, as someone who's really trying to come up with solutions in this community, it it really hurts and it and it scares me because you're left to wonder where where do they go when you're aware of how long a wait list is to get in somewhere. I know you work very hard to keep your Thrive work separate from your political work, Mm -hmm. but yet this issue has a huge political component to it. And I'm going to ask you, uh, you have this unique perspective of both sides of this coin. I mean, you have a platform to advocate for changes in homelessness, in changes uh, to funding, because you can talk on behalf of a municipality to provincial officials who fund these things. Mm -hmm. You have the ability to lobby. Why are we seeing more of you speaking out and doing more to address this specifically directed to this issue of of violence and women? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm hearing a few things in there. So um, housing, homelessness, violence against women, and obviously all, all intersects, or you can even argue that systemic issues of one over the other. I'll comment first on violence against women. I've actually been really pleased with the level of support. So funding for VAW is a provincial mandate, and MPP Pacini has been, I honestly think, has gotten us um, significant dollars for violence against women, sexual assault and human trafficking uh, through transfer payment agreements um, to our member organizations. Um, I think with respect to what can, can, why are you not seeing me doing more? um, I will be the first to admit 
I try really hard. I'm proud of my efforts, but I can always be better. I can always do more. My biggest frustration, now I'm speaking outside of Thrive, is when you're in a lower tier municipality and so much of this falls outside of your mandate, the thing that you can do is lobby and advocate. And I have a very open um, dialogue with our mayor and I will say that MPP Pacini is very responsive to my inquiries. Through the Thrive lens, the one thing I would continue to advocate for is our community needs so much money and support in terms of, of mental health um, and responding to the opioid crisis. Um, a little bit outside of what we're talking about with the report, but you know, you asked me a question and if there's one thing that I could ring my bell really loudly on, um, it's mental health dollars. Uh, the money is there for building housing. I think the county and member municipalities, I think we need to be looking internally or locally at what are our own barriers um, to preventing the build of housing and whether that's um, zoning, um, land allocation. I think we have a lot of work uh, to do on that. And, and Coburg specifically has an opportunity to address that when our co comprehensive zoning bylaw review comes out later this year. Um, so, and I, I would like to see all three levels of government get out of the silo. We talk about co-alignment um, and all of us being at the table more frequently um, so that we're all aware of what's going on. But anyways, at the end of the day, to summarize my answer to your question, Rob, um, you know, I've I'm, I'm been really impressed with the pandemic, the amount of um, dollars locally uh, that the province has provided in the way of gender-based violence and violence against women. You asked the question of where do we need more funding? Um, we, mental health dollars and uh, drug strategy, a community response to um, the opioid crisis, which I do believe we're going to see coming through the county's community safety and well-being plan, which Thrive is a member of. And then finally, with respect to housing, um, I think the projects are there. I think the money is there. Uh, but I think as a local politician, um, I understand that we have some barriers in place um, that hopefully that we can be addressing um, as our zoning bylaw review um, comes up for uh, consultation and imp implementation uh, later this year. I'd like you to go back now and we'll talk to you as, as the leader of the Thrive uh, Coalition. Um, going forward, what can we expect coming out of this report? Yeah, two things um, that I'm presenting to our group on Friday. So we meet every other month. Um, so the coalition has seen this report. They approved the report this Friday will be our first uh, coalition conversation about, okay, these are the trends uh, coming out of the report. What do we address now? Um, I think locally we have a lot of work to do around 
specific service delivery um, for uh, people, race, racialized populations, uh, LGBTQ+, um, transgender. I think we need to continue to provide specific services um, for people that don't identify with the traditional infrastructure um, of support. Uh, and then I also think that we need to continue as we continue to live in a pandemic, we really need to be getting out into community and reconnecting with women and children and letting them know that they are not alone, that safe support is available immediately. And we have to get more creative with how we let folks know how they can access. Because the whole point of the drop-in center is to try to bypass that initial wait list period. And, and I have to admit, Rob, I do struggle of how to get the message out there um, in such a, a, a busy news world. Um, but you know, that's my that's my challenge. That's my task over the next few months. But yeah, I'd say uh, specialized support, um, inclusive support um, to support every member of our individual, every member of our community who's experiencing violence, harassment, and assault and trafficking. But then more importantly. Um, we have these innovative models in place and we need to, we need to see the level of service access um, restore to pre-pandemic levels. Um, Cause we know, we know the crisis is out there, but we have to, we have to get back out there and meet women and children where they're at. Nicole Beatty, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. That was Nicole Beatty, coordinator for Thrive an umbrella organization providing services to protect people from gender-based violence. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening, and stay tuned for more from Consider This.